Welcome to Mindful Social, the show that intersects mindfulness and emotional intelligence with the hectic online world we live in today. Welcome, Bruce. It's really great to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, because your bio doesn't cover the half of it. <laughs> so... A part, part of my background is uh, that I've been a caregiver for my wife for the past uh, almost 15 years now, and that's been up and down uh, from really serious to she's able to work again now, mm. but it's still an ever-present thing. Um, I am currently working as the uh, executive director of the Parkinson Foundation of Oklahoma, and so I've been involved with this organization for over 10 years and the director for four and then also I've written about four books along the way and speak at conferences and that sort of thing. And was also an ordained minister for 15 years <laughs> and have done a little bit of sales and marketing. So <laughs> all of the above. You are the Renaissance guy, aren't you? I'm not sure about that, but uh, I've been busy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that's good either, but I have been. <laughs> mm. Mm. Well, let's, let's start a little bit with your caregiving experience. Over this many years, I can imagine that you've learned a lot. Well, I, you know, we have, and, and we didn't intend to know anything about any of this. Nobody uh, does. <laughs> yeah, my wife and I were both 31, uh, and we lived around the Nashville area. And when our second child was born, about, I mean, immediately my wife was just doing really drastically worse and worse every day. Mm. So fortunately, she was diagnosed by a Vanderbilt doctor and and quickly got a correct diagnosis and all of that. But the first three years were really tough. Um, she couldn't drive for about over about a year or so. Uh, couldn't pick up our newborn, couldn't pick up our two and a half year old daughter. Uh, mm -hmm. So it was just really a, an extremely disorienting time for us. Uh, fortunately, along the way, we met great people and we learned things and we try to pass along what we've learned. And we came out of that disorientation uh, to be able to help other people. And she also got a lot better. Uh, and it's been up and down the whole time, but uh, she's currently able to work. And so, um, you know, we're, we're thankful for, for every day we have, and we're, we're thankful to, to have learned along the way. That's yeah. great. That's great. You know, it's Parkinson's is so, such a challenge because of that up and down ride. You just never know what's going to hit you, do you? It's true. It's true. And my and my wife's disease is actually dermatomyositis, uh, which is a mouthful. Uh, and I and, but I have two family members with Parkinson's, and so I just kind of wound up in this world of caregiving, mm. and uh, wound up leading a caregiver fundamentals project and volunteering for the Parkinson Foundation, and so just kind of got involved in, in this world. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing what you've learned. It's, it's amazing when caregivers can really help others with getting over this, because we all feel alone in it when we start. It's true, and uh, you know, I've, I've certainly benefited from a number of people uh, who have been down the path ahead of me, Mm -hmm. And, um, and so it's been, it's been good to glean from what they, they know and, and just to receive some of, uh, their graciousness, uh, as they've lived similar paths. Yeah. It brings us together, doesn't it? Yeah. 
Yeah. So how do you deal with the hmm, inconsistencies, the, the roller coaster, as it were? Do you have any tips for people who are like, well, I'm starting to rise up the hill and I'm really worried about the other side? Right. <laughs> right. So, you know, the interesting thing about this is, is that, uh, and probably folks, folks involved with this would, would know this very well, but you, you know, the things I've learned are not because I'm so good at them. It's because I, I needed them so desperately. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so, and so have learned and I don't always get them right, but I, I I've learned a lot along the way. And so, of you know, some of the tools for me that have been helpful um, along this path when I when I you like say kind of start up the hill and and you roar back down it um, that kind of help me to smooth things out to regain my sense of calm and serenity and uh, better decision making. Uh, some of those things for me are all about habits, and that for me they're really about the small things as much as the big things. Mm. So for instance, uh, even this morning, um, I'm coming off of, as we just mentioned before we started, uh, the fourth of four fundraisers in four weeks. Wow. So that's not exactly a great time for serenity. You know, it's <laughs> a time for anxiety and craziness and, and all that. Um, but what, one of the things that's almost a mantra for me when I feel out of sorts is get up and get out, whether I'm in the bed at home in my office. Uh, so this morning around five o'clock, uh, I had some anxious thoughts swirling around in my head about, Oh, did I remember to do this? Did I forget that? You know? And I thought, get up and get out, get up and get out. Now I, I do cardio probably three or four days a week not to any kind of a competitive level, just enough to say that I was out there and I, I was doing it. But to, so I never feel like jogging in the morning, but I do always feel like if I tell myself, get up and get out, I do feel like getting out and going for a walk in the green belt of our neighborhood. Mm. I always feel like that. And I always feel better when I get back. That doesn't cost anything. It doesn't take very long. It doesn't bother anyone else. It doesn't, upset any schedules typically. Um, but for me, the, the, the sense that I get those 30 minutes, uh, carries with me really well for a while and, uh, just gets my day started off. Right. Mm -hmm. But that same little mantra, get up and get out. I use them in this office that I'm in right now as well. When things get crazy and hectic, sometimes I say some, I tell my employees, sometimes you just have to walk out the front door walk around the building and, and walk back in and try again. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it takes less than five minutes to walk around our little complex of buildings here. But even that five minutes for me, I regain a sense of composure and, and better thought. I do that too. You know, when I'm really getting wrapped up with something, I get up and I go walk around the block because it's simply breaking that, fixated pose that you're in that obsession that you're in at that moment if you can just let it go and go for a walk sometimes the answer comes to me halfway around the block yes just stopping and allowing our brain to process right 
yeah, you kind of get, I kind of get stuck. I'm kind of like a, like a mouse on the wheel sometimes uh, when I'm right here in the office and I'm working on something. It's so that break. You're right. Some of the best ideas are driving and walking. Mm-hmm. And in the shower. Arrive. And in the shower. And there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you have kind of a serenity toolbox. Tell us what that is and, and what's in there? What's in the box? Yeah, so uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm kind of working on turning this into a next book, actually. Mm. And um, because I've just collected tools and I just hear things from people. And I, you know, I listen or watch a podcast or I hear someone speak or read a book or whatever it is. And I just add these things as I go. And so there are all, all kinds of things. But so one of those would be that little mantra, get up and get out. Uh, that's That's one easy tool. Uh, and I often think about the high bar and the low bar or the high fence and the low fence kinds of things to do. So to get up, put on my exercise clothes, go out and really exert and jog for a mile or three or to get up and go to the gym or those kind of things. Those are great. Mm-hmm. They require more effort uh, to do things that cost, you know, or to join an event. These things take a little more effort. They're great. I always am glad I did them. Mm-hmm. But I really try to focus on stocking, um, stocking up on those low bar, low fence, easy access tools in the toolbox. And so, you know, one of those for me is the word is is a word one. Uh, I I am a and a lot of folks are the personality, the squirrel personality, easily distracted. <laughs> what? <laughs> right. <laughs> And so I can, I can, I can jump, you know, from one to five things, you know, really in succession and back and forth. So sometimes for me, the word one, I just think one, Mm. one, one, one. And I kind of meditate briefly on the word one. And then I focus on one thing. And that's not just in a work context, but in other contexts as well. So I, for me, I find that one little word, one helps me to focus. I love that. Just a, just a tool that I use on the fly sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, another tool that I really enjoy is, uh, this is more of a morning tool, more kind of setting direction for the day, is just to listen. Because the whirlwind of thoughts uh, in my head seems to never, never stop until you stop it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so just to stop that and especially early in the morning to go out and to listen and what you might hear is the first wave of cars of the morning or air conditioners or birds or, you know, it's a, it's a mix of nature and, and, and man-made noises, but to stop and observe and listen mm-hmm. is we orienting. Don't, we don't notice the things around us. And I think that's something that caregivers in particular run into a lot that we're so fixated on what's going on in our life in that moment that we don't see the things around us. We don't hear the birds, right? We don't see the flowers. We just, we're so wrapped. So, you know, I I love that concept of, you know, just open awareness, literally open awareness. Yeah. So that's a, that's a tool that I, I use a lot and I'm, I'm, I'm always better for it when I do. Mm. Um, you know, this morning I was actually sitting on our back porch and we have a little fountain and uh, not, not a huge yard at all, but in our small little yard, you know, um, sitting by a fountain 
and just did a, just a 10 minute meditation. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing I, when I first started meditating, I would, I would kind of, I always needed to know track of time. And so I would get started and I would think, have I been here 30 minutes or three minutes? I'm not sure. <laughs> Probably but, if three. It was thir- <laughs> but I would think if it was 30, I should be doing something else. And it was always three. Yeah. Mm. It was never, I, it was never 30. So then I decided when I do this, I'll take away that worry or that, that anxiety or that need to control and know mm-hmm. how much time has elapsed. And I just set my phone timer on 10 minutes and 10, you know, 10 minutes is not the most ambitious amount of time to, uh, to meditate, but it's significant. Yes. And, um, and so then I don't worry about the time because I know when 10 minutes hits, the little, the, the heart music will begin to play and I'll know I did 10 minutes and, mm-hmm. and, it, and it works out pretty well. So I, that this morning I, I was doing that. I think that's a very common thing for people to be like, Wow, I feel like I've been sitting here for an hour and they look at their watch every minute. No, nope, it's been a minute and a half. You know, it, it's it's challenging and, and it disrupts you so much that you don't actually get into meditation because you can't settle. So I, I like the idea of yeah. setting the timer. That makes sense. That's what I found. I was really frustrated with the practice just because of my incessant need to know how much time had elapsed. <laughs> and and so I eliminated that issue. And it's, that's been, that's really been very helpful. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And eliminating those, those disturbances, those distractions, all of those things that sidetrack us from what really matters to us and to those around us, those we love is so important because it's really easy to just end up in total distraction. Um, right. Both of these tips have been really great. I love the idea of one too, because one also <laughs> that's right well and i find myself I'm, I'm always trying to multitask and you know increasingly you know the 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 uh the things that we're learning is that uh you know we're not all that great at multitasking as as we, we are and it's not as helpful as we think it is and our productivity is not as great and i know mine certainly isn't uh, another tool along with the one that I do in a work context sometimes is uh, also goes with the timer on my phone and I'll think, okay, I, I have all these things to do on the list, but I'm going to do this one or I'm going to work for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And when 20 and when the, the, the little, the heart music begins to play after, 20, and it's always nice music. I don't do, rah, 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 you know, <laughs> <laughs> but, a, but a nice outro, you know, to that yeah. period of time. And, uh, and so when that happens, uh, I get up, I stop what I, or unless I'm just right on the cusp of being done with something, but then I'll stay, I'll, I'll walk out of my office, mm-hmm. maybe walk out the door, take a few minutes and come back in and, and hit the 20 minutes again and try to focus on one thing again. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I do two or three things in those 20 minutes, but, um, but again, it, it helps to focus for those of us who are focus challenged. <laughs> like all of us. <laughs> yeah. So you are juggling a lot of balls with caring for your family, caring for your wife, running 5Ks, uh, all of the work that you do. How do you prioritize throughout your day? How does that, how does that work? Is it flexible or are there things that are really rock solid? I, this has got to be done. 
Um, well, one way that I think of it, or just, you know, again, maybe these are I, tool ideas that maybe help someone. They've helped me. Um, in, so, and I've, I've said I would never inflict my system on anyone else. <laughs> it works for me. I don't know if it'll work for anyone else. But I, I, have, a, I have a binder that um, for every year, and it's, and it's paper. I tried electronic, and I just like to actually use a pen and, and mm -hmm. have, have this together. And so I have my yearly, monthly, weekly goals all in here that I keep up with. And I have a rhythm to every day of, of a few key things that happen. And within those key things, though, there's a lot of flexibility. But every day, I, I need to have some receive time every day. <laughs> Tell me about receive time. So receive is maybe comes twice a day. And it's the first thing I do every morning, kind of what I was just talking about. I, I try to have some sort of a spiritual focus and that could come in all types of forms. Um, and it might be short. It might be, it might take a little while, but, but kind of a, and the posture for me is receptive. Mm. You know, if I can put myself into a receptive posture, and then I'm centered, um, you know, I, I just feel better about the day. And, and then along with that, I do a little bit of visualization. And so my Evernote app on my phone is loaded with all kinds of um, lists and I, all my better thoughts. Mm. That I, they're a go-to. <laughs> they're easy access, you know. And I click on one every morning and, and just look over part of it. Mm. And that maybe is a minute or two but it, it intentionally gets my day started with my better thoughts in my head. Um, and then uh, I do some, a little bit of brain exercise. I try to do some physical exercise. Often the physical exercise comes more in the afternoon or evening, not always in the morning. Um, and then, you know, I, and then I try to eat um, re relatively uh, okay. <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, and that, and I kind of roll through all kinds of uh, targets on that, but, uh, but anyway, so those are the things I think of as receive. If I put myself in that position of those habits every day at some point in the day mm -hmm. with a lot of flexibility for when that's going to happen and they don't, and none of those have to take very long, but if I just put myself in those positions, then ultimately I, I see that as I put myself in a position to receive you know, just some peace. Mm -hmm. Fill yourself up. In many ways, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is so, part, of, part of that a gratitude practice? I, I do a lot of, I, at least once a week. Um, and I, I would say there's, there's kind of gratitude through the front door, the back door, and the side door. Hmm. And so on my easy days, the gratitude comes through the front door. I think, well, these are 10 things I'm grateful for. Or, mm -hmm. I'll, or I'll wind up with 20-something or 100. And I, I do this and I tell other people that old gratitude still count, <laughs> you yes. know, like I can be grateful for something that happened 20 years ago. That's not even particularly relevant in my current reality, but I'm still grateful for it. I'm grateful that it happened. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I'm still grateful. We have a house with a fireplace. I wanted one for so long. Well, we've <laughs> had it for 10 years, but I'm still grateful for it. You know, so things like that. And then there's the back door, which is <clears throat> kind of more like 
Um, I, at one time for a brief time, I, I had a couple of jobs that I really were a bad fit for me. Mm-hmm. And so in the days that I just scrap around and it's hard to get the gratitude going, I think, well, at least I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and so like I, I actually worked in a little bit of kind of admissions and financial aid at a college early, early on when I was uh, much younger. And, and I said, um, you know, at least I'm not doing financial aid today. <laughs> of all, I mean, somebody may love that, not me. And so that's backdoor gratitude. Um, and then there's side door gratitude, which is kind of like um, grateful for things. But you think in terms of uh, oh, what's the term? Uh, Christopher Peterson is a positive psychology guy mm-hmm. um, who's written on that. And he described this practice and I got a lot out of it, but uh, I'm trying to think of what he actually, his term for it. Uh, gosh, I just always call it the side door of gratitude, but it's basically saying, what if this thing were not, what if this hadn't happened? Then, then what? And so when you remove something you're grateful for from your mind, as if it had not happened and reintroduce it, the gratitude that it did is kind of multiplied. Interesting. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So that that's a practice that I, I so I, I come at it from all those angles. You got to come at it from all the angles some days. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Not yeah. every day is really easy to no. find things to be grateful for. No, the bluebirds are, don't wake up right here. No, yeah. you have to you have to coax them and lure them in. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think a practice does really help um, remind you, or you can get lost. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In the, in the early years of my wife's illness, um, we did something that we never thought we would do. Um, that's actually how we've come uh, to live where we live is because uh, my wife was so sick. Our, our children were very young and my mother-in-law said, just, you guys just come live with us for a while. And I thought, wow, that's something that'll never happen. <laughs> uh, you know, but later on I realized that this is what we need to do. Mm. And so I, we did, we, we moved in with my in-laws, which I cannot believe we did that for a while, but we did. And we set some boundaries and ground rules and things worked out great. It was great for my kids who were one and three when we did that. Mm. It was great for my, for my wife to be able to heal. And, um, you know, and it was, it was ultimately good for me as well. And, but one practice I had, and I had to have practices, uh, to maintain some level of uh, uh, calm and serenity living with the in-laws, but for a little while. Um, but one of those was, and this may sound creepy, but it really worked to me, for me. I was leading the Caregiver Fundamentals Project at the time in Oklahoma City. And <clears throat> so I dealt with caregivers all day long. I heard all kinds of stories and, and we had all kinds of great programming to help people. And I really loved the job. It paid terrible, but I loved the job. Um, and so on my way home, there was a huge cemetery. And I would stop off probably at least once every week or two. It was one of my one of the tools in the toolbox. And I would walk around the cemetery a little bit for maybe 10, 15 minutes. And uh, the good thing about walking around a cemetery is nobody bothers you. <laughs> no, no one interrupts you <laughs> they, mm-hmm. they leave you alone but also you learn a lot and so I would try to put together stories and I would think well how did all of these people 
deal with all the things that happen in life and how do they deal with divorce and bankruptcy and illness and premature deaths and all the adversity that is, it's common to people, you know, mm -hmm. I don't know how they dealt with it, but I would think, but I, we, we didn't ask for our situation, but I still have my wife. My kids still have their mom. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to go home and I'm going to make the best of it. So the net result for me of that practice was, was reorientation. It was a, a renew reframing of perspective. Mm -hmm. from frustration to basically gratitude and saying, well, I'm going to do the best with what I have right now and then I'll keep going. You know? mm. Yeah. That's really powerful. It was. And I don't, and, and if someone has had a loss recently and maybe that's not a great idea, but, um, but for some people I, I have found that walking around a cemetery is a, is a profound experience. Mm. Yeah. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit. You have worked with a lot of caregivers and I'm assuming that you've learned a lot of lessons from them as well, especially while you were caring for your wife right. while working with caregivers. What do you think, what do you know are the biggest issues that caregivers are facing both personally and professionally? Let's make that two questions. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I, I think there are, there are a few. Um, one is, and this one is less than it used to be. Uh, 2006, when I started leading the Caregiver Fundamentals Project for a few years, this was a much bigger issue than it is now. But just self-identity that you are a caregiver or this that there are other people out there doing this. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know how often over the years, though it's begun to decline, it's not quite as common anymore, that people would come in and say, I have a parent with Alzheimer's, I'm trying to hold down my job, I'm trying to pay for the kid's college. You know, they would describe this situation and say, do you know anybody doing stuff like that? I'm like, yeah, there's a few. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> there are a few folks out too. there. <laughs> that might understand that like 44 million or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was so interesting to me that, but I had the same sense about yes. our situation. So I, did I. I just, I just felt like it was only me. And so I think that there's still a little bit of commonality there early on. And it's partly a, a bit of denial. It's partly just, we're not trained, certified, educated to know anything about this until we're, un, until life happens and we're in the situation. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think there's something there, first of all, just about um, identifying yourself in this is what time it is. Mm -hmm. this, this is my scenario and I'm not alone. You know, so I think that's that coming to that realization is really crucial for people because that's a breakthrough. Now we have something we can work with. Yeah. Denial is not helping you. No. Or ig ignorance or denial. Right. Because it, you can't, you can't address the problem until you've acknowledged that there is one. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I, I love what one, uh, one person says, I can't remember whose quote it is, but um, basically uh, it goes something like uh, de denial is a natural defense mechanism. It's just not helpful for very long. <laughs> That's good. 
but it but it's natural it's not unnatural to do that Mm -hmm. it's just that it it expires at some point and it becomes detrimental more than helpful yeah and when we're dealing with a lifelong issue yeah you're gonna have to fess up to it sooner or later so i just see that and it's so common it's so it would it would be the exception for someone not to experience at least you know a modicum of denial Mm -hmm. so I think that that first of all is a big deal. Um, you know, one of the things that I've learned along the way uh, from some other uh, caregivers who have had experiences out ahead of me um, has has just been, and it really even in a work context, has been to to be gracious with yourself. You know. Mm. So for instance, in a work context, as, as a boss of, as a, or a, you know, a manager of other people, uh, I'm the director, I have employees. If they come to me and say, ah, I'm, ha- I'm really struggling this week, this is going on, they explain a situation to me, my response is gonna be, oh my goodness, do you need to take the afternoon off? Do you, do you, you know, like I'm gonna try to help them. Mm-hmm. And yet we all fear that we fear telling other people and there are environments where certainly the work environment is such that the competitiveness of it and so forth almost doesn't allow it but you know is but someone maybe it's not the boss that's going to be the understanding person but there's some coworker who's going to kind of help help out along the way through the through the crunch mm-hmm. and the other thing that goes along with that to me is is not just graciousness from other people but for yourself and so I think of a guy I have breakfast with uh, every couple of months and I've been doing that for over 10 years he's 70 now um, and I've learned a lot from him over the years but that's been one of them he reminds me he says you've got to be be kind to yourself you know and so I think our expectations of ourselves in those situations is is there a productivity our energy, our vitality, everything's going to remain on the up and to the right. Mm-hmm. When the fact, the fact is it's a struggle and you, you do have to look at some days and not as a victim is not as a not as a cop out, but just to say, I have to give myself a break here. If, if someone else came to me with my situation, I would give them a break. Mm-hmm. So Maybe I should give myself a little bit of a break today and I'll get up tomorrow and try again. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. We tend not to cut ourselves any slack at all until we're laying on the floor. Right. Yeah. And we don't really need to get that far. No, we really don't. It's very, very challenging. And you know, I'm, I'm in Silicon Valley and dealing with a lot of corporate entities where people are afraid to tell anyone at work why they have to take this time off right now and they have to leave. And uh, it puts the entire company at risk when nobody knows what's going on. Um, You know, the, the way that the study from the Harvard Business Review says, okay, 30% of the employees in your business right now are caregivers. So what are you doing? How are you helping them? How are you working with them? They don't all have bosses like you. So it's, it's very challenging if there isn't 
some level of compassion and empathy in the workplace to help people get through this because right. sooner or later it's going to be one of all of us and we forget that yes we do and it's challenging in the workplace it, it is still because there are the demands of the productivity and the the work has to get done uh but again back to what we were saying earlier it's hard to fix a problem that we haven't acknowledged mm -hmm. and so you know there has to be some acknowledgement and maybe some fair boundaries drawn and 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 re re realigning expectations but but unrealistic expectations you know are the death of us all <laughs> and right. so uh it's just yeah i don't know yeah. so those are a few things that come to mind hmm. well thank you and as a in a leadership position yourself, have you found, and maybe this is an unfair question because you have been a caregiver for a very long time, but have you found your leadership style a little bit different with the knowledge that you have, both from your experience and all the caregivers you've worked with? I would say, and I, my wife and I both said this early on in those first few years of her illness when it was so, uh, so difficult, um, we said, you know, it's not that we were particularly um, judgy kind of people to start with, but we're certainly much more quick to give people some slack mm. because we just always now remind each other, you, we don't know the whole story. You know, there's more to this story and we yeah. don't know it. And so uh, I think that out of our own experience, in, in that way, not that we've perfected it, but we've, we've gotten better and not that we were that harsh judgment kind of people sure. before, but you know, we make our judgments about people and we wonder, well, why can't they do whatever? And, and I, you know, I've learned from people along the way, there was a lady um, along the way that I met that I just thought, wow, she's so capable why is she not helping out more? And I just thought she was holding out on us or lazy or I wasn't sure. I was like, she has a lot to offer and she's just not offering it. Mm -hmm. And I found myself in a conversation with her at one point and she explained to me about, she had an autoimmune disease, which I knew nothing about. Her husband had uh, some things going on uh, that she described to me. And she said, so I would love to do these things. And it was more in a volunteer context. She said, but I just have to say no and I'll do what I can, but I have to go, I have to, I have to get my rest. I have to go home early because those are higher priorities. Good for her. Yes. Good for her. And I learned so much from her in that moment because I had not had fair expectations of her until she uh, helped me understand. Mm -hmm. Well, and, yeah. I think your expectations were fair given the information that you had. Right, right. Just to say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had the whole six-pack, just not the plastic thingy to hold it all together. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> yeah, I think, I think it's so important that, you know, we as caregivers and as educators and as people who are talking to other people all the time, that we do help people to understand how important it is, even though it makes us vulnerable, in many, many ways to really let people know that this is what it's like to be me and I will do the very best that I can 
And there may be limitations in some areas. And most people will adjust to that if they know it. But if we don't tell them, they can't help us. And that's actually doing them a disservice as much as it is us. That's right. Yeah. Hmm. Wow, this is such a good conversation. Thank you so much for joining yeah. me. I would love to let people know, well, I would love to people let people know more about your books. And now you've got another book that you've got to put out now because you, you put it on the podcast. So why don't you let people, right? You're outed now. Why don't you uh, let people know where they can find you and how they can engage with you a little bit? Okay. Uh, BruceMcIntyre.com. Uh, B-R-U-C-E-M-C-I-N-T-Y-R-E.com. Uh, the, the, the books that I've written, the most uh, recent one that's out is called Thrive Anyway, which is a paradox. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the idea there is that there is life to be lived, even though some parts of life may be falling apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we, you know, there are parallel realities. And the good, bad, and the ugly all happen in the same day, the same week, the same month. And so, um, but so we intentionally try to force ourselves, nudge ourselves towards the beautiful and the inspiring and the humorous. And because there's, it, the, the bad things are so easy to see. Yeah. We, you just have to work a little harder on the other side of it. So thrive anyway. Mm. And so I do a lot of talks on that. Um, I've done a book called Parkinson Positive with a Parkinson patient which also is another double entendre uh, and uh, graceful transitions and resilient life uh, back in 2008. Wow. And, um, and then so working on another one right now, which is basically the toolbox. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so we'll, we'll hopefully I can get that out in uh, the near future uh, about Parkinson's. I mean, if someone's listening, they're in the Oklahoma area. I know we're, we're middle of the country and I don't think about us very often, but, uh, but we actually have a very robust uh, amount of services for Parkinson patients and families mm-hmm. in Oklahoma. And so ParkinsonOklahoma.com uh, can help someone understand what some of the resources are around here. We've been able to double and triple our, um, our resources just in the past four years in, wow. in the state. And so it's been great to be able to do that. And I love Parkinson patients. I love working with caregivers of any type of any disease scenario uh, because I I just think these are people that are dealing with adversity and yet they're kind of unsung heroes. And so I want, I want to champion and sing the song for, Mm -hmm. for the people who are maybe overlooked and, and under noticed. Wow. Thank you so much, Bruce. And I'll be sure to share all that in the blog post that goes with the podcast. And uh, I hope that, Everyone reads your books. They sound pretty amazing. I'm, I'm really looking forward to digging into the next one. <laughs> You're on the hook. Fantastic. <laughs> thank you. Okay, thank you.